The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Madeline Hewitt. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD. And welcome to our show today. Here in Minneapolis on Friday, we've got this absolutely gorgeous sunshine out. And I see blue skies with just a few clouds in the sky. And um, that, that that's great news for us here. We just went through a great big snowstorm last night. And some places got over a foot of snow. I think over at my house, we got about eight inches or so. And this is the kind of snow that's really, really heavy to shovel. So, I mean, it all kind of came down and lots of places were closed. And, um, you know, we just kind of get through that here. And we're, we're into February, ha- more than halfway through February. And so people here are just really, really excited for spring to come. But every time we get one of these big snows like this and then the temperature drops, it can be a little bit daunting. And sometimes it just, for some people, it just feels really, I think for most people, it can feel like, wow, you know, when is the spring going to come? And it's easy to get down with it. And one of the things that I found that helps me is to really look on the bright side of the weather. And it's like, you know, I know that it's cold out and I know this and that, but, you know, right now we've got sun and I find myself really just hanging on to that and I noticed in my drive into the studio this morning, I live about four miles from the studio and I uh, drive around the lakes and there's these, it's an old neighborhood so we've got, when you drive along the street, the trees actually come up and over up over the street there are those great big old trees and there was so much snow on them it felt you know like those holiday and those christmas cards it felt like i was driving in a moving christmas card it was just i thought wow you know this is just such an amazing sight and i thought i'm just going to really take it in and enjoy it and you know, this also applies when you're going through some of these health and these lifestyle changes. When you have struggles with your health and it's really easy to go on and on and you feel like, when is this going to end? You know, I've been dealing with this depression for so long or I've been dealing with a stomach upset for so long or when am I going to finally be able to lose weight? Or, you know, it can go on and on and on with the different health problems that people deal with. And it could even be things that aren't really big, severe health problems, but maybe you have foggy thinking or, um, you know, maybe you just have an inability to really enjoy the foods that you're eating. And something that I suggest is to really look for something positive. Look for positive changes that have helped with, helped you and hang on to those positive points and know that there's hope for you in the future, just like 
for the people here in Minneapolis, we know that there is hope, that we know that one day the spring is actually going to come. We know that one day this snow is going to melt. And so for you, that if you're struggling with health problems, know that you just need to hang in there and do what you know that you should be doing and that you're going to see and start to feel changes. So we want to encourage everybody to hang on to the good parts. And David, my husband, and I, we just returned from another ballroom dance competition in Southern California. And um, we used to dance together as an amateur couple. And for the last eight years or so, I haven't been dancing. But he picked it back up again. He's a longtime dancer, and he picked it back up again a couple years ago. And so he dances pro-am. And I'm sure that a lot of people have seen Dancing with the Stars and maybe some other ballroom dance shows. And maybe that's that's your, your image of ballroom dancing. And those people on Dancing with the Stars, they're dancing pro-am. One of the people is a professional and the other is an amateur. And that's how my husband David dances. And you could also dance two amateurs together or you could dance two pros together. So they have these different uh, combinations of ways of dancing. So, But when you're on the floor, they're either all amateur couples or they're all pro-am or they're all pros. Well, David dances pro-am, so he dances with his instructor. And he dances a style that's called American Smooth, which is waltz, tango, foxtrot, and Viennese waltz. And he's been dancing a lot of years. And the last probably 10 years or so, he's experienced a bit of distress on the dance floor at competitions. And he's never experienced these episodes when he's at home just practicing or when he's in lessons. They've only happened when he's at competitions. And one of them, this was back when we were dancing together as an amateur couple. We were in Seattle, and I think we danced a waltz, and then there's there's a short break where the couples move to a different spot on the floor. And then all of a sudden, he just walked across the whole floor, and the the announcer's like, um, what what's happening over there? And I was standing there. I, I had no idea what was going on. And um, he just calmly walked across the floor and got a drink and came back. And that, that would be very, very abnormal in a dance competition. Like you don't just stop and walk across the floor. And so that, that was one of, one of the issues. And then it, a number of other things that happened to him on his last competition. We were in Hollywood, California, and he went out there. This is when he was dancing prom with his teacher, Michelle, and they danced the waltz. And then this is when all the couples moved to a different place on the floor. And he noticed his heart went into an arrhythmia and just started fluttering. And so the sensation is a little bit like you can't breathe real well and it doesn't feel like you're, um, you have good oxygenation. And he went on to dance the tango and the foxtrot and the Viennese waltz like that. And from my standpoint, I was back just in the audience just watching. And I, I, I thought he looked like he was dancing a little bit slow, but it didn't look that out of the ordinary. But when he came off the floor, um, he got his normal heart rhythm back. And he said, yeah, my heart started to flutter out there. And it was fluttering through all three of those dances. And each dance is about a minute and 10 seconds with about 20 seconds in between. So that's kind of a long time to be um, exerting like that. And and I told him, hey, you know, David, maybe you want to step out next time and not scare yourself and everybody else by dancing like that. And he just thought, well, I think I, you know, I could get through it. 
And so what he did is go to the sidelines and sat and he meditated for a while. And his next round wasn't up for about 45 minutes. And then he, he was okay after that, but he was dancing really um, at quite a lower level than he's used to. And why I'm bringing this about is because we just returned from another dance competition in Irvine, California. And we, when we travel, we get up in the morning and order an omelet from room service. So we eat this large amount of eggs. And what he noticed this time is he ate th- that omelet. And then he said, you know, now my heart is pounding and I'm sweating and I'm starting to get a headache and I feel really, really shaky. And, and I said, you know what? I think you're having a reaction to those eggs. And, you know, his first reaction was, oh, well, it can't just be eggs. I mean, they're, they're just eggs. And it was kind of like, well, there wasn't really anything else here. It probably wasn't the broccoli or these potatoes that you're responding to. And I reminded him that when you have eggs at home, remember you've been saying that you get, you feel like your heart's pounding, but he usually only has maybe one egg at home or maybe two. And this omelet had a lot of eggs in it. And, so he sat and, you know, he's sweating and his heart is pounding and he was supposed to have a lesson or a practice with his instructor and he had to call her and say, hey, I can't even, I can't even get up right now. So they had to schedule it for a few hours later in the morning and we talked a little bit and he realized, you know, what I think I am having a reaction to these eggs because every time we go to a competition, we wake up and we order eggs from the room service and it's always a large amount of eggs. And then every time I'm in these competitions, I have trouble with my heart and I never have trouble with my heart at home. And I've stopped eating eggs at home because I realized at home, I just had this little mild reaction. I just didn't really like eating eggs at home. And so, We're bringing this up today on the radio show just to talk just a little bit here about food reactions. And David was so surprised that he himself was actually experiencing this because obviously he lives with me and then we have daughters and then we're here at the studio with a lot of different people that are making dietary changes and experiencing different food reactions. And he's always seen it in other people, but he's thought, well... You know, I, I think that he actually thought people maybe were amplifying it or maybe even making it up a little bit because how could a food reaction really be something that was that severe? And when he experienced it himself, it really, really changed his mindset. And he sat there because he really couldn't do anything else for a number of hours. He sat there just thinking, I can't believe a food like eggs, just something like eggs, actually can make somebody have a heart arrhythmia. And just walking around, you probably wouldn't experience that. But here he was exerting out on the dance floor. And so then it would appear out there. So lucky for him... Uh, when we were out there, he didn't dance for another eight and a half hours. And so we had all of those hours to help get that food reaction out of his body. And for instance, we have this special buffered vitamin C that when you take that in rather high doses, that helps your liver process through some of these foods that you're reacting to. So we gave him a bunch of that and... Um, Kept, kept the water going for him. So by the time that he danced that night, he danced kind of late into the night and he ended up doing five rounds. He did really, really well. And um, 
So he's he's really learned that next time that we travel, he's not going to be having eggs before he does the competitions. And so he has found out that he can really improve his performance actually by avoiding eating eggs. So we just wanted to bring that up on the show. And Madeline, you've had some issues also with eggs. Is that right? Yes, I have. Um, I'm, I'm not somebody who usually eats eggs on a regular basis. I don't particularly like them that much. Um, but last night I did order an omelet at a restaurant. And while I was eating the omelet, I just started to notice I was feeling a little bit drowsy and sluggish. And I got home and pretty much right away I went to bed. And as I was lying in bed, really quiet and really still, I realized my heart was pounding and I was feeling almost jittery. And I thought, you know what, I think that's from those eggs. And I remembered that that's, I I forgot that that's how I react to eggs because I just haven't had them in so long. And then this morning I had half of that omelet left over and I just decided I was going to finish it. And the same thing happened. And, you know, I'm a person who with other foods such as gluten or sugar, I have severe, severe food reactions. But this was so subtle that I can see how it would be easy not to notice Um, and especially if I'm eating foods like that all the time, I can see how it would be easy to miss, but I'm, I'm, I've gotten to a point where I'm very aware of how I feel and how I want to feel and what, what feels good in my body. And so it was just interesting and an interesting reminder to myself that, that that's not really something that works well for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point in that actually there are a lot of different food reactions that people have, but really one of the most common is an increase in your heart rate. And it's something that's really easy to miss, especially if that's happening to you all the time and your body kind of gets used to that. But that's one of those those um, subtle reactions that people have. And so for people out there, if you're wondering about food reactions or even where to start with that, just notice if you ever eat something and you feel like your heart doesn't have to feel like it's pounding out of your chest. However, that does happen to a number of people, but you'll just notice your heart rate increasing. That's, um, that's actually a sign that you're not reacting well to a food. And when you're eating a whole slew of foods like processed foods on a daily basis, you're really not aware at all about how these foods affect you because you're having them all the time and you can't feel it. And like when you have too much sugar in your blood or you have high insulin, you also can't feel that. And when you have inflammation happening inside of your arteries and inflammation in your brain, you can't feel that either. But it's when you remove these foods from your diet for a sizable period of time and then you happen to reintroduce them and sometimes you know you're reintroducing them but sometimes it's a little bit of a mistake or you unknowingly reintroduce those foods that then that's when those food reaction symptoms occur. And so... When you hear about this or even you experience it yourself, it can feel like bad news. So I'm just guessing that there might be some people on the phone call that 
you're thinking, oh, I don't even want to find out because if I find out that I react to, you know, whatever the food is, you're not going to be happy. I can just guess that that might be something you're thinking. And I'm guessing that because when we have our nutrition series classes, that's what people bring up. And sometimes you just feel like I'd rather just stay in the dark and not even find out at all how these foods are reacting because I don't want to have to have peanut butter out of my life or I don't want to have eggs out of my life or maybe tomatoes and that must mean that I can't have spaghetti anymore and um, people really do go through these sorts of feelings and it doesn't feel good to know that a food that you eat frequently or food that you love causes such a bad reaction for you but what I'm going to suggest you do is not ignore that feeling and don't pretend like you're not feeling it actually just feel it and that's fine that would be a normal reaction because you're you're used to eating that food every day and the food is often linked also to special events or you know every time i get done with this then i have this food and it's it's one of those wonderful combinations that people link together so instead of ignoring it and just pretending it's not an issue for you i would suggest go through that feeling feel bad and grieve about it for a bit and then start to realize that maybe you are happy that you've identified a food that's been causing trouble in your body without you even knowing about it. And people that remove these foods, they start to experience a body and health that they've never known before. And I'm just going to go ahead and share this. I know I, I talk about David quite a bit on here, and believe me, I've already checked with him. He he says it's okay to share some of these things, but he's almost 60 years old, and I've known him for about, um, how long have I known him? Maybe 15 years. And when I first met him, he was, he, well, he was 43 years old. I remember that when I first met him, he was 43. And his main thing is he didn't like his birthday and he doesn't like the idea at all of growing old and he would not hesitate at all to bring that up and say, you know, I just think it's a bad trick that we have to age. And I think it's terrible. It's just all going to be bad news. I mean, there's only bad things that are associated with getting old. And, you know, we used to have a lot of conversations about that. And my thoughts about aging weren't like that at all. And so we had kind of lively discussions um, on the, the two different points of view about aging. And so... We fast forward to now, he's almost 60. Next year, he'll be 60. And he says to me, now, a lot of times he goes, I can't even believe this. I feel and look better than I ever have. And he goes, I never thought that I could look and feel this good. Is I am almost 60. And he goes, 60 years old. 60 seems like a really, really old person. And he says, I don't even, I don't even feel old. I don't, I don't feel old at all. And are we ready for a break? We are ready for a break. So remember everyone, we are taking callers. So you can call us at 1-866-472-5792. When we come back, we'll just continue our discussion. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. 
The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly, but instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie. And yes, you can call us. You can also email us. Or if you want to go to our Facebook page and post comments or post other things to share, you can do that and we'll take a look. Now let's continue our talk today. Yeah, we were talking about David and aging and, um, you know, so here he is almost 60 and a person who really, really disliked aging and disliked getting old. And now his, his whole idea has changed. And that's because he's, he has put in some effort and made some of these lifestyle changes. And for him, this did actually start about 14 years ago. And for him, he, he didn't just make these changes right away. He's not a person that's like that. He's a little bit leery about things he he questions things and um, and he also doesn't really like to change very fast and so for instance he was somebody that drank a whole lot of pop like for every meal pop or soda that's what he was having and it took him a minimum of five years to not have pop and uh, you know he'd go on it go off it and try it again and and the whole thing he doesn't have the pop anymore you know I, I'm gonna say maybe about every Six months, he'll try some, and he'll go, oh, yeah, I decided to order some pop with my meal. And I go, David, how come you decided that? Well, I haven't had it for a long time. That's <laughs> that's what he likes to say. Well, I haven't had it for a long time, and I just wanted to see what it was like. Well, what was it like? He goes, well... I got it in my mouth. It tasted terrible. I couldn't even drink that stuff. I don't know how people drink that. And I go, well, <laughs> aren't you glad that you had some? <laughs> he goes, well, sometimes I just have to check again what it's like. So 
and he he's been one of those kind of people so he's he's made a number of changes in his lifestyle with with the sugar and with the pop and he eats um, much better meat which is actually going to be our real topic coming up we're going to be talking about um, eating meat whether you should eat meat or not eat meat and what is this whole thing with being a vegetarian or a vegan and wh- what's really the right way for people to eat and so we're going to actually transition into that topic right now and one of the reasons we're talking about this is um, I've been listening to the radio and maybe reading the paper recently and some magazine articles and see that there's more and more people that are saying, you know, we really should give up meat and not eat it. It's very unhealthy for people. And we I hear people debating on Minnesota Public Radio about it. It seems I just feel like it's been all around me recently. And I'm, I'm a little tiny bit disturbed at, at the arguments that people are using for why you should not eat meat. And what I'm hearing is things like, oh, there have been a number of studies that show when people get meat out of their diets, their health improves. Okay, and and they they detail the study and they say when somebody becomes a vegetarian, we see their rate of cardiovascular disease go down, we see diabetes go down, we see all of these health markers improve. And that sounds really wonderful. And then you would think, okay, that would be great. Maybe I shouldn't eat meat either. However, they, they don't tell you a couple of other things, like what was the person eating before. So, for instance, if you take the standard American diet, which is a lot of processed food and sugar, and eating out maybe at McDonald's or Burger King and places like that, eating takeout pizza, takeout Chinese food, cafeteria food, um, muffins, all of those kinds of things. And then you say, okay, let's take you and let's just take meat out of your diet. Do you think that that person's health would improve? Probably, because they're probably not saying continue on with the processed foods. They're just taking meat out and improving their whole diet, more vegetables and more fruits, and then somebody's health is going to improve. Now, there's a second issue here, and that's if you ask what type of meat was that person eating before you remove the meat from their diet. And I can pretty much guarantee probably 100% of those people were eating factory farmed meat. And that's what we're going to discuss today, that this whole issue of whether you should eat meat or not, um, you want to be sure that when you're listening to discussions or taking part in discussions on this topic, that you understand the difference between grass-fed beef and factory farmed meat, that they're two completely different foods that have nothing to do with each other at all. And that that's going to make a huge difference in what you're talking about when you're talking about issues of if somebody should eat beef or not. So let's just start actually with factory farmed beef and see exactly what that is. And it's an important topic because 99% of the meat available if we're going to start talking about beef, 99% of it available in the United States is factory farmed. So this, so if you're not going out of your way to look for and purchase meat that's not factory farmed, then that is what you're going to be eating. And so first off, we, if we look at what a factory farmed beef, what that looks like, 
First, we have hundreds of thousands of cattle that are on these factory farms and that they're crowded together in barns. So thousands and thousands of them. Crowding these animals causes way too much poop to be produced, and they're actually standing in poop, and it's not just on their feet and their legs, but it goes all the way up their bodies because they move around, and that their ground is basically poop everywhere. And when there's that much poop, there's a lot of bacteria and pathogens which breeds infection. And so then we need to give those animals lots and lots of antibiotics. And in fact, do you know that 85% of all of the antibiotics in the United States are used in livestock? Wow. So yeah, exactly. We might really think, well, that oh, 85% must be used in hospitals. No, mm-hmm. it's actually 85% are used in livestock. Okay, the other issue with, with the feedlot beef is that they're given corn to eat. And when the cattle eat corn, first off, they're not physiologically meant to eat corn. So they can't digest it very well, and they end up with ulcerations in their stomachs. So that creates inflammation in the body. However, they do end up digesting some of it. It's a kind of an arduous process for them to digest it, but they will still digest it, but that's putting inflammatory omega-6 fat on their bodies. And so I know most of you out there have heard of omega-3 fatty acids and the fish oil and that we want to increase omega-3. Well, there's also omega-6. And omega-6 fatty acids are not bad. It's just that uh, for people in the U.S., and really now it's getting throughout most of the world, we eat way too much omega-6 fat. And omega-6 fat can be way too inflammatory. And so we have these cattle that all they're eating is omega-6 fat from the corn. And so the fat that they put on their body is actually inflammatory. And so when you eat that cattle, that creates inflammation in you because you're getting those high levels of the omega-6. And the other issue is with the corn that they're given. They're not given organic non-GMO corn. They're given GMO corn. And There's a lot of controversy around GMOs right now, and I'm going to just zero in on the GMO corn. The corn and the soy and the sugar are specifically genetically modified to withstand huge amounts of Roundup, which is a pesticide, and the generic name for Roundup is glyphosate. And the issue with the glyphosate is that proponents of GMOs and the companies that that use the Roundup And a lot of people in the government, they'll say, you know, there's nothing wrong with Roundup because the way that Roundup works on these, uh, the bugs outside in, and the bacteria is that it works on a specific physiologic pathway that these bugs and bacteria have. They have a special pathway in their body. And when the glyphosate gets in there, then it kills that bug or changes its DNA somehow. And, and humans don't have that pathway. And so the conclusion is then that then Roundup should not be harmful for humans because we don't have that same pathway as the bacteria and the pests. And so it's assumed that Roundup is safe for human consumption. And when you genetically modify corn and soy, they, they're genetically modified so that you can put many, many more pounds and tons of Roundup on than you could before. If you put that much Roundup on those crops before, the plant could not withstand it. Now the plants can withstand lots and lots of Roundup so we can really get those pests killed. 
So we would think that, well, then Roundup isn't going to harm human beings because we don't have that physiologic pathway. However, do you remember in some of our other radio shows we talked about, if you count up all of the cells in your body, you have trillions of cells. Do you know that 10 more times than your human cells, you have 10 times the number of bacteria cells in your body, and bacteria cells all have DNA in them. So 10 times the number of human cells, you have bacteria cells. And so remember where that Roundup acts, it acts in bacteria. The bacteria have that pathway. And so even though when you ingest Roundup, maybe you don't have a human pathway that it disrupts, but it disrupts all of those bacteria that you have. And a huge amount of your bacteria is in the gut, uh, remember that, and that the gut with the good bacteria, it's going to produce B vitamins and a number of other nutrients to your body that are health-sustaining. And that good gut bacteria also produces your neurotransmitters, dopamine and serotonin, that get circulated in your body and end up in your brain, and they make you feel good. And so when we take in something like Roundup, that's going to disrupt the DNA in those bacteria that you have. And so when you ingest the G- GMO corn and the GMO soy, even if you're just eating the corn itself or if you're eating the animal that has been feeding on the corn or the soy, now that Roundup is in your body and it reacts and acts on your gut bacteria and then you go, wow, now I'm starting to have trouble because my gut bacteria has quite an imbalance. That means lower neurotransmitters for you. That means that you don't feel as good. That contributes to depression, anxiety, mood disorders. It contributes to food cravings. And so we can see that that feeding these animals all these antibiotics and feeding them GMO corn is not going to be healthy than if you're going to be eating that type of meat. So when you hear people talking about, you know what, when you clean up your diet and don't eat meat anymore, your health improves, it absolutely would improve if you stop eating this type of meat. This, this type of meat would not be good for anybody to eat. So the next time that you're out in a restaurant, ask them, do you... What kind of beef is this? Is this is this feedlot beef or is this beef that has been eating grass? And we'll get into what grass-fed means. But you want to start to get real picky about where your meat comes from and understand that in these conversations about should you be a vegan or vegetarian or should you eat meat, the question really should be, you know what, what kind of meat are you eating? And in these studies that were conducted, what type of meat were those people eating? And we can pretty much bet for sure they were not eating clean grass-fed meat. They were eating meat that was filled with GMO corn, disrupting their gut bacteria. They were eating meat that's filled with antibiotics, that that also disrupts your gut bacteria. And then they're eating meat that's full of omega-6 that creates inflammation in your body and leads to more and more heart disease. So when we see that link about, oh, yeah, when people eat meat, they get heart disease. And so I hear people all the times, I ask them, do you eat meat? Oh, well, I don't really eat red meat, maybe once every month or once every, and I I wonder, well, why would you do that? Uh, And as we'll learn in a few minutes, grass-fed meat is a very, very healthy, healthy food for your body. But feedlot beef or factory farm beef should be something that you absolutely want to avoid. 
So those people that are mentioning about vegetarian diets are healthier, they're going to be healthier if that's the type of meat that you're eating. So we want to really get clear about what we're talking about in terms of what people should or shouldn't be eating. And you might think, you know, with that roundup and everything, you know, you can just wash that right off. But it's actually incorporated right into the plant. And so whether you're eating it or if the animal is eating it, it doesn't really matter if somebody tried to wash that off. It's incorporated right on into the food. Now, the other issue with the feedlot and the factory farm beef is the huge amount of fossil fuels that are used in this type of farming. And that's another argument that people will bring up that, you know what, that if if we continue to eat meat, we're not going to be able to live here anymore because it's destroying the environment and it's using up fossil fuels. And you know what, with factory farming, that's absolutely truthful. And here's the deal. With all of this growing of these grains, and do you know that corn is the number one crop in the U.S.? It takes a lot of fossil fuel in order to grow that amount of grain to feed these animals. And almost all of this corn that's grown in the country is fed to the animals. So you can imagine that, first off, they shouldn't be eating it in the first place. So we don't really have a need for growing all of that corn to feed these cows. They they aren't even physiologically able to digest it properly. But what we see is that growing all of this grain costs a lot in the fossil fuel use. The other issue here is that the cattle... First off, they're, they're usually born on these small farms and then they're shipped to the feedlots. So we're using fossil fuel right there in order to ship to the feedlots. And then when it's time for them to be processed or slaughtered, they're, they're shipped to another state. And it's not right next door. They're states that could be across the country. They're slaughtered. Then they need to be packed. They're shipped somewhere else to a packing plant. And then they're shipped to another state to distribution centers. And then they're distributed all over the U.S. and outside the U.S., all using transportation and fossil fuels. The other thing that's a huge issue around these feedlot areas is that amount of poop that is generated by these hundreds of thousands of animals that are crowded together. That poop ends up going into local water streams and destroying the local communities. Their water is destroyed not only because the poop and the pathogens in their water supply, but also the huge amount of antibiotics also that comes out through the poop that's destroying the land and is destroying the water. So when you hear again people saying, you know what, we should stop eating meat because it's destroying our land, it's destroying our health, and we cannot sustain anything like this. It's also taking an awful lot of water per pound of beef. What they're talking about, and they don't even know it, but what they're talking about is factory farmed beef. So again, we want to really understand that factory farm beef is completely 180 degrees different from grass-fed meat. And that is the topic that we're moving into. So if we can now just see a whole different picture, we picture just poop everywhere and hundreds of thousands of cattle that are slopping around in the poop and are getting contaminated with the poop. Now let's just change and we see outdoors grassy lands and we see these cattle running and moving and maybe resting and they're eating grass and there is no smell in the air 
And we're going to just leave you with that vision as we go and take a break. And then we'll come back and talk and understand a different way of growing beef. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. This is Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy, along with Madeline and Jeannie. And before the break, we were talking about feedlot beef. But now let's move into grass-fed beef. Yes, let's take a look at a different kind of beef. And hopefully, a lot of you out there already know something about this. And maybe you're already purchasing and eating this type of beef. We really hope so. And if not, this will be new information for you. It's all very, very positive. So we're all glad about that. And this would be 100% grass-fed beef. And these cattle are raised outdoors. And instead of eating corn, they're not fed corn at all. They eat a variety of greens that grow in the soil. And so if you actually go out and see one of these farms, and usually these types of farmers are real open about having people just drive in and take a look and talk to them and see see what they're doing. And some of them have open houses that you can go and see. But if you talk to these farmers, they, they often consider themselves grass farmers because what they say that they're really growing is grass. They put a lot of attention into what is growing from the land. They want a variety of grasses. They they test the soil for minerals. They test the soil for the pH because it's what these animals are eating. That's what what the meat is going to be. That's what the fat is going to be on on their bodies. And they they not only want the meat to be tasting good, but they also want it to be healthy for people. And so what's important to know is that when the cattle eat 
grass and various types of grasses, they actually produce omega-3 fatty acids on, in, on their bodies. And so when you eat grass-fed beef, it's not a huge supply of omega-3s. It's a pretty small supply. But the fat that you're getting has omega-3s in it. As opposed to if that cattle was eating grass, it's overwhelmingly the inflammatory omega-6s. So when you're eating grass-fed beef, that's actually classified as a food that's anti-inflammatory. And this is important because most of us think that, you know, if you eat red meat, that contributes to heart disease. That's absolutely true if you're eating the corn-fed beef, that's inflammatory food. But if you're eating the grass-fed beef, that's anti-inflammatory. That actually helps prevent heart disease and helps you to lower the inflammation in your body. And they're never fed the corn, and they're also not crowded at all. They, there's, you'll never go to one of these farms and see tens of thousands of cattle. It doesn't really work that way on the smaller farms. And these cattle are free to move and run. And so you can also imagine that the fat and the meat on these animals is going to be different if they're just standing in one place versus if they're actually moving around. That changes the composition of their fat, and it changes the composition of their muscle. So this is actually an entirely different food. So let's just project back to these conversations with people saying, you know, when people take meat out of their diet, their health improves. We can see here that you there's a great big fat if. Yeah, we're talking about if they take the corn-fed beef out of their diet, then absolutely, hands down, your health is going to improve. But if you instead switch your choice of beef to grass-fed, that's going to be extremely health-enhancing for you. There's so many benefits of actually eating animal foods. And one huge benefit is the B12 that you find in animal foods and that the protein and the iron And we see that people that eat meat tend to have a lot better amino acids as well, meaning amino acids, the brain amino acids. When you take meat and animal foods out of your diet, it's really, really easy to get low on proteins and low on amino acids. And the next thing you know that you're having trouble with things like food cravings and depression and anxieties. And so we really promote people eat meat, and we're not talking about sitting down and eating a 12 or 16-ounce steak. We're talking about eating about three ounces of meat. Uh, that's that's would be maybe the size of the palm of your hand. So this isn't about way overeating any food in particular, but it's about seeing that when you eat some high-quality meat, that can actually add to your health and be health-enhancing for you. Now, if we go back to that grass-fed meat, they, they're, they're also moving around outdoors, and so these animals don't get sick. So if you talk to these farmers, they don't, they don't have antibiotics on site. They don't use antibiotics. They also don't have any sort of need for pesticides. And so you're getting an animal that doesn't have antibiotics in it. It doesn't have the pesticides, and it also doesn't have the contamination that these other animals have. Because that's another thing I hear as well. That meat, you know, it's got E. coli and it's got all kinds of contamination on it. And it absolutely does because there's poop all over it. And even if you try and spray it off and clean 
internet. There's so much everywhere that, I mean, it's obvious that you can't get it all off because we continue to have problems with infections and people getting um, infected with E. coli and other kinds of organisms from this type of meat. When they're outside scampering around like that, they're not sick and they don't have poop everywhere. And in fact, how these, how these farmers often operate is that the cattle are let out in one parcel of the land. And then the next day they go to a new parcel of land and the next day to a new parcel of land. And the whole thing circulates around. These types of farmers also usually have chickens and they usually have pigs. And so they're rotating through the land in a beneficial way that supports the animals and it supports the environments and it's all driven by nature and the way that nature runs itself in terms of the daylight and the the nighttime and the temperatures and the rainfall and the way that grasses grow and that poop fertilizes the land and also that poop is going to actually draw grasshoppers to it and other kinds of uh, little bugs that the chickens then come along and they're running around and they like to eat those grasshoppers and chickens should actually chickens aren't supposed to be vegetarian chickens are supposed to be eating meat and their meat is going to be these grasshoppers and um, worms and all kinds of other things that are attracted to this poop and then uh, this poop ends up getting stamped down into the ground and ends up fertilizing the land and there's no great big poop runoff into rivers the place doesn't smell it's a completely different environment when you go to a grass-fed beef farm and so we really really encourage people to look around in your area wherever you are in the country find whether it's in your state or a neighboring state find farmers who are raising cattle this way and hook up with them you can also find the 100% grass-fed meat in most grocery stores now um, and go ahead and find that and use it but we we do recommend finding these local farmers and getting set up with them and some of them sell locally with a, a CSA or community supported agriculture type of a of a, a format other ones like we have one here richer family farms we're here in minnesota and richer family farms is about an hour and a half away in wisconsin and they deliver once a month to the twin cities here they have about six different drop-off sites and our studio happens to be one of the sites and so a number of us here order our our meat we order our chicken we order our pork we order our beef from them and it comes frozen and you can order in small amounts, like just one pound of ground beef at a time, or you could order the whole animal or half or, you know, they, they do it in various quantities. It's really whatever that you want. And so we find that very, very convenient to get our meat frozen like this and stack the freezer with all kinds of meat. And when, when it's time to cook, you just open up your freezer and pull something out. That makes it convenient for people who are working on eating a really good diet. It's easier than having to drive to the store every time that you want something. And we've been to this farm, and we see how they treat the animals. We see what their land looks like. We see what they're feeding the animals. We see how it all works. And so there's no question in our minds what we're actually eating here. And that's not always the case with all foods that you can pick up from the grocery store. However, with with the beef, you can be pretty sure because it's pretty 
um, black and white labeling that if it's 100% grass-fed, it's going to actually say that on the label. It will say 100% grass-fed beef. Now, we want to warn you, if you go into stores and you go up to, the, say, say, the meat counter where the, the food, the, the meat's not already separated out with labels, and you go up and, and say that you're going to be buying some uh, ground beef, and then there's a butcher across the, the counter, and you say, is this grass-fed beef? It's very likely that they're going to say, yeah, that's grass-fed. But what you need to know is that there's lots and lots of meat that's grass-fed, and then it's finished. It's called finished off. Oh, they're finished off the last three months with corn. See, they, a lot of times they're not going to tell you that. Um, because they don't think that that really makes any difference. And I've had numerous conversations with these various butchers. And these are in bigger grocery stores, not the small butchers, but the bigger grocery stores. And this has even happened um, to me numerous times in Whole Foods when I say, now, is this 100% grass-fed? And then they will, then they turn around and then they'll get the manager and the manager will say, Oh, no, it's not a hundred percent. It was finished off with corn, but that doesn't matter. All beef is finished off with corn. And so if, if you ever get that kind of answer, you want to know that it's not true that all beef is finished off with corn. There's lots of it that's not and it's labeled a hundred percent grass fed. So until it goes to be processed, it was only fed grass the entire time. That's a very important point because it only takes about two to three weeks of the cattle eating corn for it to replenish all the fat on its body to have that inflammatory fat. So you absolutely do not want something from a store that says, oh, this is grass-fed meat, but it was finished off with corn. So here's the thing. You either have to really be specific with the butcher that you're talking to, and you have to be specific that you're looking for 100% grass-fed beef, or you need to buy it already portioned off in the package in the store, and the package will say 100% grass-fed. Now, there are packages in the store that just say grass-fed meat. Okay, that's not going to be good enough for you. So you're going to always be looking for something that says 100%. And Lucy, have you had any instances with this? Well, I have. And the main instance that I have is that I see a package that that just says in huge letters, grass-fed. And there's been some packages where I look at the entire thing and then down below in teeny, teeny letters, it says 100% grass-fed. So, but that's a little tricky because we want to look for the 100% grass-fed and that specific one did have it kind of hidden on there. But others, like Jeannie said, will just be labeled grass-fed and that's not what we're looking for. Oh, really? So you've actually seen it where it doesn't say 100% grass-fed except for the small print? Right. If you turn around and look at the ingredients, it might say 100% grass-fed or somewhere on the front in tiny, tiny little letters it says 100%. Mm-hmm. And another word to look for is pasture-raised. Um, if you're not finding the word grass-fed but you see 100% pasture-raised, that's a term to look for. Uh huh. Yeah, and then the key here is going to be 100%, because yes. we can see that so many of these 
these um, animals for some reason are finished off with corn. And um, so we can see that there's a huge difference. We just got to beef today, but that there's a huge, huge difference. And every time that you're going to choose to eat beef, whether it's at a restaurant or you're going to be buying it in the store, you want to remember that if you're choosing beef that's not 100% grass-fed, that meat contains antibiotics. That meat is inflammatory, and it leads to inflammation in you because of the high amount of omega-6s because the cattle are eating corn. And the meat contains GMO corn, which disrupts your gut bacteria, leading to a whole host of problems, such as um, the low neurotransmitters. So that leads to depression. It can lead to anxiety. And it can lead to cravings and it can lead to gut problems. Anything that happens when you have disrupted gut bacteria, which is pretty serious because most diseases start in the gut. And that that meat is often contaminated because it's crowded. Therefore, the poop and the bacteria when it goes to slaughter and then the ruin and the demise of the environment. So real important that if you're going to eat beef and we really encourage you to do that, choose the grass fed. And it looks like, uh, Lucy, are we out of time? It is. We're all done with the show today. But one other thing I want to add is just the importance of looking at grass-fed beef as a whole different food that is not even the same food. But we already know that. So it's time to wrap up, everybody. We're so glad that you could join us today. I'm Lucy, along with Madeline and Jeannie. We'll have the replay posted pretty soon. So if there's someone you want to share it with, send it to them. We'll talk next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Join Jeannie, Lucy, and Madeline for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.